Welcome to This Club Sucks. Grief support for parents after the lasagnas are long gone. I am your host, Melissa Monroe, here with my co-host, Alexandria Simon. Each week, we record our child loss chat on Twitter Spaces, where we explore topics around grief and trauma. Whether you are a bereaved parent, want to support bereaved parents, or exploring other sources of grief, we'll be here holding space after the lasagnas are long gone. Today, my co-host Alexandria and I will be hosting Supporting Grief with Acupuncture and Traditional Chinese Medicine. And welcome to everyone out there in audio land. So Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who is the grand dame of grief, (laughs) has said there is no correct time or way to grieve. And I feel like it should be on every billboard and t-shirt and everywhere and something that we should remind ourselves of i titled this and many other talks and lectures i've given on grief through the years supporting grief because i don't believe we should treat grief uh it is my belief, and I'm, I know I'm not alone, that we pathologize grief. That grief is an, a normal process and response to loss. It's not, it, it is not a pathology. So I prefer to say supporting rather than treating. If the patient's grief or if our grief is harmful to ourselves and others, then we can start to treat the pattern. But the single most important factor in the grief process is support. So above all, be supportive to others in grief, but also yourself. Don't let those cultural messages sink into your head that you need to move on, you should be over it, etc. Now, some examples of when the grief process might need additional attention would be if there's suicidal or homicidal ideation or tendencies, um, misplaced anger, substance abuse, neglect of self or dependence, etc. In those cases, yes, some treatment might be advised. But otherwise, grief is just a natural response to loss. And often we may suffer additionally because family or friends have unreasonable expectations of our or the grieving person's ability to function at a certain time. Uh, I believe it is really important not to add to the expectations, but to support ourselves or the other in grieving in any way they need to grieve with empathy, compassion, active listening active listening, active listening, (laughs) you listen, mostly you listen. Grief is not linear. There are the five stages of grief and some say there's six or seven, but the, the, uh, the standard from the Kubler-Ross world are denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. I've never known anyone that went through, you know, denial, done with that, check, anger, done with that, 
Check. Bargaining. Check. Depression. All done. Acceptance. Yay. That I've never seen it happen in my entire life. Um, and they, they go back and forth rapidly, sometimes in minutes. Does, does anyone have an experience with that that you'd like to share? Um, I just wanted to say that I uh, have always had a problem with Kubler-Ross's stages, especially when I thought that they had to go in order and that once you switch to another level, like anger, bargaining, whatever, that you couldn't go back to the other one. And so it really stressed me when I didn't seem to be following that pattern. So thank you for saying that. Yes, I, I think it creates stress in a lot of people. And I, I think, unfortunately, there are even therapists out there that have treated it like that in the past. But it's just not how it goes. You might start with anger. And, uh, for instance, the parents of those children in Uvalde, pretty sure they started with anger. Um, and then you might go to bargaining then, then you might be in shock that in my case uh it was such a shock that i i think i didn't even really start the grieving process for a while and in, in it in any of those stages because the sh we had no idea she was going to die i was in medical psychological true shock some other possible stages of grief that people talk about now thankfully, are anticipatory grief. There'd be anticipatory grief oftentimes in uh, chronic illness, like cancer, Alzheimer's, where you're kind of watching someone slowly slip away. Uh, shock, which I've just discussed. Um, I know that I'm not alone. I know for many people whose grief was wrapped up in an unexpected death or trauma. The shock is so intense at first that the grief is sort of delayed. Um, there's also complicated grief, which can, which is, as it sounds, complicated. <laughs> complicated grief could be um, something interrupts the grief stage, like another tragedy. Um, a friend of mine who lost a mother and a brother within four months of each other, both to cancer while her father also had cancer. That's complicated grief. Complicated grief can be when you have a complicated relationship with the person who's died. You love them, but maybe it wasn't all roses or you loved them at one time and you hadn't spoken for a long time. All of those can be instances of complicated grief and it is then further complicated by the fact that perhaps you feel like you don't have the right to grieve or you don't understand why you're so upset. And then all, all of that messaging that we tell ourselves prolongs it and makes it worse. And grief can occur with breakups, divorce, loss of job, as well as death. But gr grief is not just reserved to death, obviously, death is you know the humdinger of the of the options but grief can occur f for all of those 
breakups, loss of job, divorce, ends of relationships, ends of friendships, anything like that. Anyone have anything they want to share about complicated or anticipatory grief? Go ahead, Beth. Hi. Hi, everyone. Yeah, I just wanted to say um, about anticipatory grief. I know I experienced with my stepmom because, you know, she was sick for a long time. And so we knew that it was going to happen. But I think I felt like because it was such a long time that she was sick that when she did die, in my head, I thought, I'll be fine. (laughs) And um, it still can hit you really hard. And and all those stages are definitely not in order at all. (laughs) Um, I I just, I really thought like, you know, we know it's going to happen and I'm prepared and I really wasn't prepared. (laughs) It's something you can't really prepare for. It's so true. Um, and, And that is the, Oh, when, um, just a reminder, when you're done speaking, mute yourself just so we don't get cross background noises. Otherwise, the the uh, Twitterverse collapses. <laughs> um, it's true. When uh, I think that is the seductive thing with anticipatory grief, we can think, oh, you know, I've already done part of the work of grieving, so it's not going to be as hard, but it it's not. I I don't know of any instances where that was true. And often there can be some guilt because perhaps your part of you is relieved that that person isn't suffering anymore. Maybe, maybe they were suffering for so long and part of you is relieved for them that they are no longer suffering. And then because we are masters at self-sabotage, that we spend a lot of time feeling guilty that there's any sense of relief. Um, Yes, Alexandria. Uh, This was a comment to what Beth said. When I was younger, an aunt had um, Hodgkin's lymphoma for at least 10 years and was very, very ill and constantly trying to uh, commit suicide because she, you know, was just a terrible disease. And this was long before they had mastered some better chemotherapy. And so the chemotherapy was almost worse than the, the disease. And when she finally died, what people, uh, even in the family, would say is, well, you knew it was coming, as if that um, made it better that she was finally dead does that does that make sense so I mean it was the same kind of thing because she had been ill for so long I guess everybody expected that as soon as she died like my grandmother wouldn't grieve and her husband wouldn't grieve you know that kind of thing and those were the kind of remarks that they made well you know you knew it was coming you knew it was going to happen and and it's like oh snap your fingers and the grief should be over yes that's infuriating and hurtful and everything else, uh, but unfortunately common. And uh, knowing ahead of time doesn't do anything. Nothing uh, prepares you for the finality of it. You can prepare. That's what we're doing here, actually, is we're preparing for, for that moment where we will die and our loved ones will die and 
that's really what our life is about, not to sound like a big fat downer, but but it really is our life's work is preparing for for death and and seizing the moment and making the most out of what we've been given and there's there's nothing that can prepare us for that but it is a great example of and I've written about this a lot in my blog and in my upcoming book people that otherwise mean well really are masters at minimizing other people's grief mainly because it makes them uncomfortable people who are in fresh grief are are big reminders to the folks around them that people really are going to die uh you're not your little <laughs> fantasy of living forever that none of us think we have, but we do sort of all of us carry that, you know, Oh, it, it won't be for a long time. I don't have to think about that now. It, it's, it's a, it's a smack in the face to those around you that we're not here forever. And a lot of people don't want to face that. And so what I try to do when that happens, because I've had many you know, less than sensitive things <laughs> said to me, I try to remember that it's not me. It's uh, their inability to face mortality and, and death. And, um, and then I just keep walking toward the love of uh, Beth. And I've had many conversations. Mo, hi, Mo. Mo's here too have had many conversations about this. I just had to keep deciding to march toward the love. So most of the people who said things like that to me, I, I knew that they weren't trying to be mean or trying to be dismissive, even though it was absolutely dismissive. So I, I developed smile, hug, hug them and walk away. <laughs> I write about this in my book and my blog. Uh, I would smile, hug them, walk away. I knew they meant well. It wasn't helpful. So I removed myself from that situation and walked toward the love, toward the people who were willing to just listen or give space to wherever uh, I was at that moment. And um, I, I still do it to this day. Most people aren't trying to hurt you. They just don't have the capacity. And that's largely the fault of our society, really, in, in my opinion. There's nothing really in our education or that happens in our lives in, in, unless you were experienced a loss very early in life that, that prepares us for, for these really important life lessons. Any questions about that before I move on? Okay. Um, when we are either grieving ourselves or supporting someone in grief, the number one thing I would say to, to help yourself or others with is sleep. Uh, I had a friend, I still do, I have my friend Tommy, who I joked was my sleep sponsor. He would ask me every day, did you get sleep? How much sleep did you get? Okay. If it wasn't eight hours, can you get a nap? What, what can you bump off your schedule today to prioritize sleep? And at first, I didn't really understand what he was doing. Uh, 
but I quickly learned. And I was kind of a sleep proselytizer already, as Beth and Mo both know. <laughs> um, sleep is so critical to our, our to our basic functioning to start with, and then add something like grief and a shock and a trauma or anything like that, and it's it's even more important. It's where our brain rests. It's where we uh, our organs repair all of our rest and repair happens there uh sleep deprivation strongly linked to uh neuro degeneration and all kinds of other problems obesities so many problems so if you want to support someone that's grieving see what you can do to help them get more sleep can you take their other kids for a couple hours can you you know pull together with some friends and send a cleaning lady to their house so that they don't have to worry about that so they can get some sleep. And what can you do for yourself? You know, for me, if I notice that I haven't slept well two nights in a row, that third day I do only what's absolutely necessary for that day to not create a hydra of other problems. <laughs> and then I go to sleep however I need to do it. So being someone's sleep sponsor is a, is a wonderful thing you can do to support them during grief and uh, a, a very important thing for you to try to do yourself. So with Chinese medicine, we're going to move in. Those are sort of the basics. Now with Chinese medicine, there are five mental spiritual aspects, the mind or called the Shen is associated with the heart and the heart meridian. The ethereal soul, or hun, is associated with the liver and liver meridian. The corporeal soul, po, is associated with the lungs. Intellect, yi, is associated with the spleen. Willpower, zhi, is associated with the kidneys. And all of these five combine to form the spirit. Now, it is said in Chinese medicine, obviously all of your entire body and your entire soul and your entire mind is affected during periods of grief. But the Chinese believe that grief is really processed by the lung. And when I say the lung, I, I don't mean the organ necessarily, the lung meridian. In Chinese, in meridians, you want to think of them kind of like an archetype as well as a, a meridian. Uh, so the Chinese believe that grief is processed mostly by the lung archetype, the lung meridian, and it houses that part of the soul which is attached to the body and goes down to the earth with it at death. They believe there's another part of the soul that leaves the body at death. But the lung contains the somatic part of the soul, the, the part that will die with the body it this part of our makeup houses desires it's it's where we develop the sense of that's mine impulses instinct raw energy it's uh just like breathing when we take in the good and we get rid of the bad it's what's unconscious unconscious it's important to note that non-attachment does not equate to emotional restraint. Um, 
we often think when we hear about non-attachment, we think of someone with like flat affect. <laughs> it's just unflappable. And it, that's not necessarily what we're talking about. Non-attachment is accepting our desires without allowing them to consume us or accepting our feelings without allowing them to consume us. Wang Chu said, when he tries to extend his powers of objects, those objects gain control of him. He's, he who is controlled by objects loses control of his inner self. If he no longer values himself, how can he value others? If he no longer values others, he is abandoned. He has nothing left. So non-attachment is not the same as not caring. It's caring, but not letting that consume us. Does that make sense? So um, the corporeal soul is also... Um, where harmony exists it's where we can allow our emotions to flow through us through us it's accepting natural emotional responses and discharging longings that don't work for us it's uh where we learn to stay with an emotion until an image is, uh, an image arises that we can let go it's where we let things come and let things go. Just like we breathe. We don't have to think about inhaling and exhaling. We can. It is one of the few physiological, it may be the only, that is both voluntary and involuntary. We will breathe whether we are thinking about it or not. But we can also adjust our breath with intention. So we're breathing in oxygen, which we need to survive. We're exhaling carbon dioxide, which we need to get rid of to survive. We're letting the things we need come. We're letting the things that no longer serve us go. Those are the fun functions of the long or the po in, in Chinese medicine. Does that make any sense? Great. I'm getting heart emojis. For those of you listening that can't see the board, I'm getting some emojis. All right. Then they, there's, when the Chinese speak of, quote, evil emotions, it means extreme, not bad. It means large or perhaps overpowering, but not necessarily bad. That Those large emotions have a purpose. They get us through an emergency. They can be cathartic. It can be a great purging. Once the difficulty is passed and the stress is released, the evil emotions have transformed into harmonious feelings. Uh, there's an author, Iona Teagarden, who writes on uh, the similarities between Eastern medicine and Western psychological tradition. The, the book is called The Joy of Feeling, and it's a masterpiece that everyone should read, and certainly anyone that practices um, any kind of Eastern medicine or body work should read it. it. It should be mandatory reading, in my opinion. It's a beautiful, beautiful book. And uh, I noticed this in myself. Um, and I know Beth was there for much of it, as was Mo. I noticed that if I did not fight my feelings, if I didn't fight the grief, fight the tears fight the anger, whatever it was, it quickly passed like a storm. 
it's when we uh, feel righteous in our anger or feel judged for our anger or our sadness or whatever the big feeling is. It's when we try to shove it down or freeze or tell it to wait. Like, this is a bad time, grief. I'm in the Trader Joe's. Can you come back later? Well, it'll come back later. And it's going to be gnarly. <laughs> Sometimes I've learned it's just easier to let a couple tears fall in the Trader Joe's and get your little sample and, you know, keep your head down while you look for your favorite trail mix. Because uh, trying to pause it doesn't work, um, in my opinion. And it, observing myself and thousands of patients and friends through the years, the pausing it doesn't work, the tr trying to go around it doesn't work, the trying to ignore it doesn't work, N none of that works. So I did notice if I just let it happen, when it comes up, and I don't fight it, and I just kind of let myself go limp and let it do its thing, it's over in minutes. It passes like a storm. And then I will notice a new emotional state. And the new emotional state for me is almost always gratitude or awe. Um, you know, I'll be bowled over by, you know, the leaves on a tree or, you know, the color of a flower or the way that clouds look or, you know, how uh, crazy my dog looks cuddling her baby that her stuffed babies that she also tears apart but cuddles them but tears them apart like any of that can inspire awe and this really in my opinion is the the key to navigating those difficult emotions but how we get there and how we unlearn the bad habits that we've learned that disallow us from doing that is the tricky part you know what i mean does anyone have anything they want to share about that nope we got a quiet oh dr a go ahead well i have a question um in terms of like the whole body approach to grief that chinese medicine would take um or holistic medicine however you want to uh, term it how are there things that you can you used to help ease your grief or support your grief with Chinese medicine or yeah Chinese medicine acupuncture massage anything that is not just like throw drugs at it do, do you know what I mean oh yes all of this that I'm discussing would be part of it the um so this is kind of like the theory behind, which I'm slowly getting into. This is kind of the theory behind how a Chinese medical practitioner would approach someone who came in to, quote, treat their grief. This is the mindset that they're going to hold. Beth? Hey, um, yeah, I just wanted to say real quickly um, about just letting yourself cry um i because i i've been recently working on grief but a kind of a different kind of grief um having to do with infant separation trauma of myself but um i realized that you know 
and I, I know you and I have talked about this and you've written about it, just letting yourself cry whenever is the best thing. And I, um, I uncovered this memory of my mom bragging how I never cried and how, the, how much yikes that hurt me <laughs> for my entire life. And I, I finally, one, one time just said, when she was bragging about it, I said, well, I probably was just afraid of you. And then she never brought it up anymore, but there you go. Yeah. I, this has to do with my adoption experience, but yeah, just letting myself cry whenever is so freeing. It is. And it takes so much less time, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. It's just like a five minute thing instead of a two week thing. Right. <laughs> or a two years thing. <laughs> Or a 40 years thing. <laughs> <laughs> this is so funny. Um, <laughs> but it really is true. It, it, it takes moments, I noticed, when I didn't fight it or try to reason it away or try to tell it like, oh, this person isn't going to understand your grief, so hide it from them. A, a it doesn't really work. For, for me being I, I'm a person who kind of wears it on my sleeve anyway as all of you know but uh so I'm not really even capable of that <laughs> very much but any attempts at at stuffing it or pausing it uh, ne never ended well and and I it was very clear to me that it prolonged the grief you found that too Beth Absolutely. Like, I don't like I can just let it out instead of walking around and feeling like, hey, what is this? I feel weird, you know, or like, and then trying to suppress it, just let it out. It's wonderful. <laughs> it is. Yeah. And so much easier. Yes. And so uh, and it's efficient. And you know me, I value efficiency almost <laughs> above all. Um. I love me some efficiency and just letting yourself cry when you need to cry takes a lot less time. It's super efficient. I love efficiency. <laughs> so, if you love efficiency too, just let it go. Um, so now we're going to talk a little bit more, um, Alexandria, about uh, the long meridian and how we, we would treat that in Chinese medicine. Because this isn't a lecture for acupuncturists, I'm not going to go into specific points or point combinations or even herbal prescriptions. It, there's so many variables that would in, inform exact prescriptions for someone, but I will be talking about what we would be evaluating if someone came in for grief support. Now, Chinese medicine treats the whole body, the, the whole self. We don't just ask that. We don't treat grief. There's no like, this point is for grief. That's not how it's done. If someone comes in, we ask them about how much they pee, how much they poop, what's, what it's like, what their energy level is. It's the, they're called the 10 questions. We're, we're asking about literally every part of their life. And from that, we discern which organs are maybe in excess or deficient, or, or deficient and how they may be imbalanced. And then we work on that. Um, now, with grief, there are patterns that may be more typical than others. 
but a, a good doctor of traditional Chinese medicine isn't going to assume that it's one of those five or six patterns. They're still going to ask all the questions. They're still going to ask about every single aspect of that person's health and lifestyle and uh, sex and sleep and eating and all, and all of it so that they can, they're going to look at their tongue, they're going to take their pulse so that they understand what's happening systemically for that person. That said, there's if, it, if there's grief, there's always involvement of the lung. And so it's one of the things that you're going to be balanced. And because this is a, a short one hour chat and not a four year uh, a degree program, we're going to just keep it on, on the lung today. So the lung lets things come, let things go, like we discussed earlier. If the lung is healthy, we are able to do that. If the lung is constricted, we can't let things go. If the if we're too open, which almost never happens, if we're too open, we can't. Um, we're, we're we're too receptive, and maybe aren't aren't boundaried enough. Um, and there's usually some back and forth between those things. When someone's really trying to hold on, it obviously forms tension, not just. And, and that can be anywhere. That can be in the neck, the shoulders, the whole channel. The, the lung channel goes from your thumb up that side of your arm into your chest, the front part of your shoulder. And if you palpate it on a patient who's grieving, you will notice tension there. And you might poke points or like, whoa, I didn't even know I was sore there. How did you know I was sore there? They say. And I'll say, because that's, that's what I went to school for. <laughs> but you're not just paying me for this hour. You're paying for, you know, all the time I spent in school and not going out and having fun <laughs> and being a geek in my bedroom. Like, th this is one of the things you learn. But you will almost always identify some points along that meridian where somebody goes, whoa. That's such a random space. How did, you know, why is that sore? Well, you've, you're doing some holding on. And with grief, there's, there's almost always some holding on. And it doesn't mean you're defective. But it's natural to want to hold on to something, someone, some situation that you love. But when we learn to allow the void, that al allows reception. Now, here's the kicker, really, for especially in our modern day uh, society. We are so hammered with program to not allow that void to be there for any reason. There are so many things demanding our attention and, uh, and our consumption. And uh, the powers that be don't want us to experience that void. They want us to keep consuming, 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 don't they? Um, maybe I'm going to get thrown off Twitter for saying this. I have no idea. <laughs> but you know what I mean, right? There, there's not a lot of cultural encouragement to allow that void. And so when we even get close to approaching that place where we can allow the void enough to receive something good, receive something beneficial, we freak out. You'll get tense everywhere. You, you might 
have a crying jag that you, you, you don't know why and you can't stop. You might want to break dishes. Y- your body will fight that void because we're so programmed to not allow that void. Uh, Iona Garden said we get what we need by being open so we can perceive it and empty so we can receive it. But our culture now it just really fights against this, don't you? Don't you think <laughs> that our current culture doesn't want us to experience that void? But that's where the transformation comes in. And so, if someone's coming for grief, the the point patterns that we would use, we would identify where there is tension, and then we would select points, herbs, uh, you know, cupping all of the tools of Chinese medicine to start to open up those channels so that person can start to experience longer and longer and longer periods of that stillness that's necessary for us to receive the benefits. Does, does this make sense, Dr. A? Makes total sense to me. I have a question about, like, do different types of grief, like let's say grief over losing a child or the death of a parent or uh, loss of a marriage. Do those different types of grief affect different areas in someone's body, or is that all individual, or what? Um, that's a great question, and I'm going to give you an answer that you hate, which is it depends. <laughs> um, <laughs> it really does. It uh, it depends on so many things. Uh, even the same person might not have the same kind of uh, even the same person might not have the same reaction to each parent dying. Even the same person might not have the same grief response to different relationships ending. Uh, I unfortunately know parents that have lost more than one child. And to me, these are heroes. I don't know how they make toast, which is something I say many times in my book. I don't know how they do anything in life, but they do. And uh, they're heroes to me. They, even those parents didn't have the same grief response to each child because the conditions around the death can be so different. So uh, how we grieve an unexpected death is going to be very different than how we grieve an expected death. Neither one is more or less painful. They're just different. Um, how we grieve a, an accident or some kind of really horrific, gory trauma is going to be different than than my response, which was it was a sudden death, but it was but it was peaceful. She didn't even know she died. Most likely, she went to sleep and didn't wake up. But those are going to be different responses, even within the same person. And so, when there's this expectation. Uh, culturally for for couples or families to grieve a member of that family's death the same it's uh, that's so damaging because not even an individual is going to grieve certain kinds of death the same so Chinese medicine is really big on you always treat the pattern you don't we don't treat anxiety we don't treat uh, heart disease we don't treat it's important to know that 
And that's usually what people come in and report. You know, I have knee pain. I have this. I, you know, I have, they're usually giving us a Western diagnosis and it's important, but we have to know how to translate that into sort of the Chinese uh, approach where we're looking at every part. Well, why do you, why does this person have knee pain? We're not, and does this person have knee pain that's, you know, in Chinese language, like, is it more blood stagnation? Is it more uh, uh, muscle tension? Is it more, we're looking at those aspects because we, there could be 18 different kinds of knee pain. We're not going to treat them the same. And it's even more so that way with grief. It, that's a very long answer to your question, but does it answer it? Yes, it does. Thank you. I accidentally answered it in my too long explanation. <laughs> so um, negative emotions cannot be avoided, nor can positive emotions. We let them come, we let them go. And if our lung meridian is healthy and the archetype of the lung and that part of our psyche is healthy, we are able to let things come, able to let things go. Th this is, of course, very difficult. We're able to let go of routines that no longer ser serve us because they can dull our s senses. New surroundings bring new perspectives. And staying awake and open is really key to accepting the cycles in life. Because life cycles whether we want it or not. If we have trouble with our, with our let it come and let it go, we will see issues in the lung and large intestine meridians, which in their, their paired system, um, we will see problems in those meridians, uh, either on the muscular level, on the organ level, or on the psychological level. Because in Chinese medicine, the lung meridian, yes, it includes the lung, but it also includes the channel where the meridian goes from your thumb to your chest and it also includes the psychological aspects of that organ system which in lungs case as we talked about is grief and um, the part of the soul that dies with the body if we ha are having trouble with our letting it come and letting it go we can see breathing issues constipation chest tension low immune function uh, we can restrict feelings uh, with face facial tension because we're we're trying to not have our face show our emotions. Um, deep breathing, therefore, is one of the most healing aspects for the lung channel. So if someone's coming in for grief, as I'm needling them, I'm having them inhale at a certain time and exhale at a certain time. And when I leave them to, quote, cook, when the needles are retained, I'm giving them a breath work exercise that is perfect for someone in grief. I am, uh, and the one I would use most, most of the time with someone who is grieving, not, not all the time, because again, there's, there's so many individual reactions and different kinds of death cause different kinds of problems, but generally the one that I recommend is allowing yourself to, to be breathed rather than breathing. To feel like 
you are being breathed rather than breathing. And that when you are being breathed, it is, it is your entire body. And that this is not something that you are forcing. It is something that you are allowing. So if you find yourself going, I got to breathe into my whole body and I got to exhale from my whole body. That's not, that's not it. To just keep the allowing, the allowing, the allowing. Beth is laughing because she knows that we've worked on this. <laughs> so the, those are some things. Again, I'm not going to go into like exact point combinations because I'm not dealing with, uh, you know, none of you are acupuncturists. So it, it wouldn't be, a, there's it wouldn't be helpful for the, for this discussion. And in any event, there's no magic needle to take away the pain of loss. And e even people in grief will come to me and say, you know, can you treat grief? And I always say what I said at the beginning, I can't treat your, your, your grief any more than I can take away your love for the person that you're grieving. I can support your grief and your, your grief is your grief is the love for this person with and it just has nowhere to go so there's no magic needle to take that away the only way through it is through it and having support through it and then we treat the pattern presented as we discussed now when i was a student i kind of thought this was a cop-out when they would say uh, you have to treat the pattern it's not just grief like is it uh, lung deficiency with overactive liver? Is it lung deficiency with spleen deficiency? You have to look at all of the parts of the, the person's health to make a diagnosis and then treat accordingly. And in a little bit, it sounded like a cop-out to me. When I was a student, I wanted more answers. But it, it is true. And, um, and, it, and after many years as a practitioner, I now know that it's not a cop out. <laughs> um, it took a while, but in grief, it's especially true because the grief response is so individual to the patient and symptoms of the various stages vary so much over time. And even within a day, one thing that I often utilize, uh, with grief other than breathing, I would say, you know, let me back up. So Chinese medicine is not just acupuncture. There's herbal medicine, there's cupping, there's gua sha, which is like a very intense, uh, like a scraping kind of massage um, that you do until there's redness. There's moxibustion, which is like a big fat incense stick, it looks like, and you light it and it kind of smells like pot. But but it's not pot, but it smells like it. And so if you're in certain office buildings, you can't use it because then the cops come. Um, I, ask me how I know. Um, and I work above a pot store, by the way. <laughs> like, no, I'm not the problem. That's downstairs. Thank you very much. Um, but it looks like a big fat incense stick and you light it and you can hold it over certain points to, pro uh, to provide very pin pointed heat therapy you can also use the raw herb and kind of ball it up on the end of the needle and light it there and it kind of gives heat therapy to very precise points so that's another option there's also auricular acupuncture uh, there's points on the ears the ears a fabulous fabulous thing to treat and great if um, you're 
in a kind of a disaster zone or the military uses it widely in battlefield acupuncture because the key to balancing between sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system uh, domination, sympathetic is fight or flight, parasympathetic is rest and digest. It's fair to say that we are all stuck in sympathetic nervous system <laughs> uh, regulation too much. And, and we have trouble cycling back. We were talking about the allowing it to come, allowing it to go. Our society has us all kind of stuck in fight or flight. And we have forgotten how to cycle back into rest and digest easily. So it, uh, tigers can do it. Lions can do it. The, the animals have not forgotten. We've forgotten because, you know, we're so smart. But. Um, and our smartness has created some problems <laughs> as well. And one is that we no longer cycle easily between sympathetic and parasympathetic regulation. Things like acupuncture help with that. Things like massage, meditation, breath work. Breath work is key because breath work, again, is something that is both voluntary and involuntary. So we can work on that autonomic nervous system, the autonomic nervous system includes parasympathetic and parasympathetic branches. The, the whole of that is called the autonomic. And one way you can regulate that is through breathing because it is the, it is an autonomic function, but we can also voluntarily change it. That's why breath work is so important for the ear. The ear has many nerve endings from the vagus nerve which is also important in our ability to cycle from sympathetic to parasympathetic regulation. And so needling ear points or putting seeds, like taping seeds down, or there, there are little needles that you can um, leave in that were developed for um, battlefield situations uh, can be very, very effective for things like, for, for many things, for pain, for uh addiction, for uh, insomnia, for motion sickness, for uh, nausea, for chemo-induced nausea, for many things, but also for grief and sort of psycho-emotional issues. And it's a great way to get a little bit more bang for your buck between treatments because you, you can use these leave-in needles that will stay in generally for about five days. Um, so that that's a technique that I like to use and it just gives people a little bit more support. Not only would we look at the overall pattern of the person when they come in, and by that I mean which organ systems are excess, which are deficient, which need, you know, chi, blood, all, all these aspects. We would also evaluate where they are at that moment in their are, are they more in denial denial is going to have certain physiological is going to be accompanied by certain physiological indications um if there's a lot of sadness and worry if they there's like a lump in their throat difficulty swallowing like they literally cannot swallow the news and i know this sounds made up but i can't tell you how many people come in and say, oh, you know, I lost, 
you know, my mother six weeks ago. And I, I feel like I have this, uh, like a, like a plumpet in my throat and I feel like I can't swallow and I don't know why that, that you literally can't swallow the news. And when you explain this to them, they're, you know, people's minds <laughs> are blown. It happens all the time. Again, when I was in school, I was like, that's made up. <laughs> that's, that doesn't happen. It happens all the time, all the time, all the time. Um, if someone is uh, in an anger stage, first of all, they're not going to be necessarily logical. So it might be hard to even get information out. Uh, secondly, it, it's really important not to rush yourself or others through anger stage and um, they're gonna, there's going to be a lot more energy because anger, is, uh, anger wants to move. A anger wants to destroy. But anger is more effectively used and anger is not bad. And, and that we are taught that anger is bad makes us have a very bad relationship <laughs> with anger that en ends up uh, being bad for us. But someone who is plagued by like a prolonged anger stage, you, they might be easily fatigued. They might feel hollow or empty in their chest. They might have like a, a feeling of a, something very large in your throat. There will almost always be anxiety, insomnia, or hyperarousal and possible depression because depression is repressed anger um, a lot of the times. So we don't usually sedate the anger we try to help them transform that anger into something that they can work with instead of something that consumes them. Does that make sense? And then bargaining, um, you'll, you'll see a lot of like holding symptoms and armoring in the diaphragm. Like they might not be breathing deeply. Uh, you'll see in that depression we kind of touched on already because it's sort of you know, inwardly directed anger and then acceptance, you might think, oh, I'm done. I'm in acceptance. But acceptance is not being okay with the loss. And it's not about liking your new reality. It's about accepting the reality of the loss and recognizing the permanence. And at this point, the person will be able to remember and recollect and reorganize reorganize and reintegrate different parts of that relationship and a new relationship with the deceased begins and this might all sound great but it's often brings up a lot of um a lot of tears when someone reaches this point because there is a part of you that feels you're abandoning the loved one when you begin that stage of acceptance and i write a about that in my book a lot. Yes, Beth. Hi. Uh, sorry to interrupt you, but I, I just this this is so strong for me. I and I'm you know I know you know this, but when my stepmom passed away. I was a lot of anger and denial and all kinds of things. And acupuncture helped me. Not that it was okay, but it just helped me move into a space where. I was open enough to have a new relationship with my stepmom because I think I was also experiencing that I was sort of worried about her um, on the other side, you know, and it, it helped me just kind of, well, then just, you know, talk to her um, or 
see her, you know, and even though I didn't like fix everything, it just getting acupuncture helped me to just kind of be okay with all of my um, cornucopia feelings. <laughs> just really, really valuable. Thank you for that. Oh, thank you for sharing that. And I'm glad that it was uh, valuable and helpful to you. And thank you so much for sharing that. Uh, I think we're going to leave it there today with acceptance, <laughs> which again, I want to reiterate, it is not being okay with the loss. It's not about liking the new reality. It's about accepting the reality of the loss. And once that starts, you will start remembering things more. You, um, reorganizing things more like once I hit acceptance I was able to take Alice's clothes and turn them into a quilt I couldn't do that at earlier stages and you really do form you'll find that you still have a relationship with the deceased it's but it's new and it's different and this happens in pieces and over years not days and it may just mean you have more good days than bad days. You're always going to have bad days. Sorry. There, there will all Joe Biden, love him or hate him. He has one of the most brilliant speeches on grief that I've ever heard where he was addressing a room full of parents who lost their children in the military. And he says, uh, I think, I think 10 was the worst. You know, if, if you write your, days from one to 10, you are always going to have days that are 10. But if you chart them over time, you will notice that those days become farther and farther apart. And I have found that to be very true. And I also thought that was just very fair advice for many reasons. One, it gives the person permission to be affected by grief for their whole life. Be and not that you really should have to have permission, but we kind of feel like we do in this world that wants us to wrap it up quickly. So it gives the person space to do that, but it also provides hope that, but you're not going to feel like you feel today forever. It's not going to be this all-consuming forever. I just thought it was really sound, fair it, advice. It, this, all of this is highly individual. No one can or should try to speed up the process for ourselves or anyone else that's bereaved. And um, with that, I think we will sign off. And I'm so grateful to all of you for tuning in and joining us today. Alexandria, Beth, Mo. Thank you. Thank you. And to all those I know who are going to listen later when they get home from work, uh, thank you for joining us. Have a beautiful day. Thank you for joining us today. For more information on the show or my other work, you can check out thisclubsucks.com or melissamariemonroe.com or you can find me on Twitter at Triple M Meaning. May you experience some gentleness on your path today. Oh.